one of the indications that something is truly a great story. I mean, like, think about the greatest stories ever told. We've been talking about that for a while now here at Crosspoint, and we're kind of wrapping up this series with um, certainly one of the greatest stories ever told, the birth of Jesus. And one of the, one of the indications that a, a story is truly great is that songs are written about it. Because when a story is so great and so wonderful, it's not enough just to tell it. It's not enough just to talk about it, to explain in a logical, linear way what happened. Something bigger must be done to commemorate and capture and express a truly great story. And while the the cross of Jesus, him dying in our place, taking the punishment for our sins so that we could be reconciled back into right relationship with God, well, that is the, the cross is kind of the rightful focal point of our Christian faith, I, I would say there's nothing, there's no other story in, in, in all of history, including scripture, that's more mysterious and awe-inspiring than the incarnation, than God becoming man, the word taking on flesh and dwelling among us. And so what I'd like to do this afternoon is break away from what we would normally do on a on a sermon, which is to have an outline on the screen with some points, some application, and rather just kind of shift our focus to just truly come behold this great mystery, to gather today and just simply consider these things. And as we do it, um, I'm going to quote a lot from songs, because the reality is there are so many just amazing, great songs. If I had one regret about the way we do Christmas Eve service, I would like it to be about two hours longer, um, so that we could sing like every single Christmas hymn um, that's been popular throughout the years, because there's so many great songs where these songwriters are just trying to somehow capture and express this incredible mystery of God himself, the one who created all things and spoke everything into existence, becoming man, becoming one of us, and walking on the earth as one of us on the earth that he created. So we're going to walk back through the story we just read in Luke chapter 2, um, and I'm going to be interjecting a lot of songs and other scriptures that really express the realities that we see in this text. So you can follow along if you would like, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first generation when Quirius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And just the way this story starts, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, reminds us of the setting in which this took place. Four weeks ago we had a sermon called 400 Years of No Stories. Um, the idea is that when Jesus came, there was 400 years of silence of God not really interacting and speaking a whole lot with his people on a broad basis. Um, it was a dark time in which God's people were living among a ruler. If anyone should have sent out a decree to the whole world, it should have been someone of the lineage of David, right? I mean, God's plan originally for Israel was that they would be this great and mighty people, Um, And that they would be on top, not at the bottom, being oppressed by a Roman government. Um, And yet God was working through all of it. But in these dark times, things were not as they should have been. That would have been the sense people had when they they read this story back in those days. that, That in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That 
it was a reminder that God's people were not in the situation they were supposed to be and they were oppressed by a foreign government, not having their own land to call home. Um, and yet here they are trying to maintain a sense of culture that God had given them, right? Swimming upstream against the values and the culture they lived in, trying to maintain the, um, the traditions and, and the values and the beliefs that they had as God's people that were specifically theirs in a culture that had very different values and priorities. Fighting to believe that God's promises were true and he was going to remain faithful despite the circumstances around them. And I think that may be true for some of us. We may find ourselves in a similar setting this year where there's some difficulty around this season. For you, maybe there's an empty seat at the table that hasn't been empty before. Maybe there's some family conflict, maybe some financial difficulties, maybe just a, a struggle in all the hustle and bustle to maintain focus on what we should be celebrating during this season. Maybe you've got problems so big in your own home that you aren't even worried about any of those things I just mentioned. But the reality is that they had to cling to this idea in those 400 years of silence and living under a foreign rule when things weren't really the way they felt like they should be, that still believing God was faithful, that he would come through on his promises. And the way he answered their promise was something they would have never expected. The way he came through on that promise to, to send a deliverer, to send a Messiah, was nothing like what any of them would have had in mind. There's a song called Welcome to Our World by Chris Rice where he says this, Tears are falling, hearts are breaking. Oh, how we need to hear from God. You've been promised, we've been waiting. Welcome, holy child. Hope that you don't mind our manger, how I wish we would have known. But long awaited, holy stranger, make yourself at home. Please make yourself at home. The story continues now that we have the, the setting of this people living in a time that didn't feel right, didn't think like things were the way they were supposed to be, waiting on God to send um, a Messiah to make a difference, to set things the way they were supposed to be. It says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So first I want to consider Joseph's story, what this would have been like for him. We, we had a whole Sunday focused on that, but just to kind of recap, Joseph was this guy who was just, from what we can tell, a pretty normal dude, a good dude, a good guy, a godly man, when he found out that his soon-to-be wife had become pregnant, he probably assumed the worst, probably had a hard time believing the story she told him about this, um, this um, gift from the Holy Spirit that, that she was still pure, decided to divorce her quietly. But then an angel came and appeared to him and reassured him, what Mary's telling you is the truth. This baby is indeed the work of the Holy Spirit. And he decides to have faith and believe and stick with her. And now we see him fulfilling his civil obligation to go back to his hometown and register while his wife is due any minute. And finds himself having to 
play the role, likely, of a midwife um, for Mary in the stable. There's a song by, uh, by Andrew Peterson. You guys have maybe heard us talk about this album a lot called Behold the Lamb of God. And despite what Nick or anyone else may have told you, the best song on that album is uh, Labor of Love. Um, and in this song, he, uh, he says this, just taking a picture of what this must have been like for Joseph. He said, Noble Joseph by her side, calloused hands and weary eyes. There were no midwives to be found on the streets of David's town in the middle of the night. So he held her and he prayed. Shafts of moonlight on his face, but the baby in her womb, he was the maker of the moon. He was the author of the faith that would make the mountains move. I love these just images of what this crazy thing that was happening there when God himself was being born to and among men. And we consider Mary's story, it's, it's worth mentioning that this was probably a very normal childbirth experience for her. So often when we, when we have our little manger scenes or when we tell the Christmas story, if you see like a Christmas pageant, everyone's really clean, everyone's really pristine, and we tend to kind of sanitize the Christmas story. Um, and make it sound like there was no screaming, right? There was no difficulty, there was no pain, that it was very clean, when the reality is, is quite the opposite. We actually, as a family, read a book um, this Christmas season. We read it last year, and it's just going to be a tradition for us now. And it's called uh, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever. I don't know if any of you guys have read this book. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, at one point, my wife was like, laughing so hard she was crying and I had to take the book and take over because she couldn't keep reading. It's a wonderful book, but it, but it has a really, really great message, really dealing with this idea, how we've sanitized it. And the story is, I'm not going to really give it away for you, but the story is basically this, that this church is putting on this Christmas pageant and there's these handful of kids who are kind of like the, uh, um, the kids who don't ever go to church. They're don't have, their parents don't really take care of them. They're kind of like the bullies at school. They're really rough around the edges, right? They're the kind of kids that like no one really expects them to be in a church. Well, they end up coming and being assigned the key roles. And so everyone's like biting their, you know, nails, wondering what the heck is going to happen when these kids show up and try to put on this Christmas play. Um, but then something really cool happens that, that helps them see some new reality to the Christmas story. Um, and this girl, who's like the one telling the story, is watching as they come in from the side to play Mary and Joseph and the angel. Um, and it says this. She says, they looked like the people you would see on the six o'clock news. Refugees sent to wait in some strange place with all their boxes and sacks around them. And it suddenly occurred to me that this was just the way that it must have been for the real Holy Family. Stuck away in a barn by people who didn't care much what happened to them. They couldn't have been very neat and tidy either. Imogene, the girl that's playing Mary, had the baby doll, but she wasn't carrying it the way she was supposed to, cradled in her arms. She instead had slung it up over her shoulder and thumped it twice on the back. And I heard my friend Alice gasp, I don't think it's very nice to burp baby Jesus, she whispered. <laughs> and I said, I don't know why not. And I didn't. He could have had colic, or been fussy or hungry, just like any other baby. After all, that was the whole point of Jesus. 
that he didn't come down on a cloud like something out of comics, but he was born and lived a real person. In that same song, Andrew Peterson says it this way, it was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyway that night on the streets of David's town. And the stable was not clean. And the cobblestones were cold. And little Mary full of grace with the tears upon her face and no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. So then you've got this idea of this, this humble arrival of Jesus, right? That the King of kings and the Lord of lords chose not to come down on a cloud or even be born in, in a major city, but in this little humble town of Bethlehem. That's one of the most oddly glorious parts of this story is that it happened in a major manger. And how this birth in a manger was kind of a thumbnail image of what was actually happening on that blessed night. Jesus would later go on to say, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But in this instance, the creator of the universe had no place to lay his head. No place but a feeding trough in a barn. The king of kings and lord of lords came in low, undignified, and for the most part, unnoticed. That's why we get this song, Away in a manger, a servant is born, made nothing to raise up the hopeless and poor. Micah 5, chapter 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, this tiny little town, from you shall come forth for me one who's to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. It's another song called Love Came Down. A little bit less popular song. You may not have heard this one before. But the lyrics and part of the verse is this. O Savior of our fallen race, O brightness of the Father's face, O Son who shared the Father's might before the world knew day or night, you came down. You came down to a stable and a manger, not a kingdom or a crown. Perhaps the best scripture to capture this, the humility of Christ and his arrival is Philippians 2, where it says that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. One more quote from a little town of Bethlehem. A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus as a being lowly and lowly esteemed, a man of sorrows. It says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces... He was despised and we esteemed him not. It's often been said that in the shadow of the manger laid a cross. Right? That part of the 
beauty of this whole thing of Jesus coming isn't just that, just that God became man to walk among us and to carry our burdens, but that he came to die, right? That Jesus was born in order that he might die for our sins. Isaiah goes on in chapter 53 and says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Some of you guys, imagine if I were to take a poll, what's your favorite Christmas song? Many of you would raise your hands for, Oh, Holy Night. One of the cool verses in that song is, In towering grace he laid aside his glory, and in our place was sacrificed for sin. That Chris Rice song I mentioned earlier says this in a later verse, Fragile fingers sent to heal us, tender brow prepared for thorns, tiny heart whose blood will save us, unto us is born. My personal favorite Christmas song, despite the odd use of the word hark, no one uses that word, and we're still going with it, I think we could update the version and change that word, hark the herald angels sing, says, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give him second birth. At this point in the story, it's remarkable how few people had heard about Jesus. His birth had been announced by an angel to, um, to uh, Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, to Joseph, and to Mary. But outside of that, there was so little announcement and fanfare um, up to the point where Jesus was born. And then when God finally decides to proclaim what is really happening to someone outside the family, he chooses the most un likely of people to reveal that to. He doesn't go to the king. He doesn't go to the high priest or the Pharisees or the Sadducees, anyone of any sort of importance or clout or influence. Instead, God chooses to announce the arrival of this special blessed child to common shepherds. Chapter 2, verse 8 of Luke. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's not read over some of those familiar verses. Because what the angel is saying to the shepherds, number one, implicitly, just simply by the fact that he's announcing this thing to shepherds, and then explicitly, is that this news is for them, that this good news of great joy will be for who? For all the people. One of, one of the reasons we should cherish this day and the celebration so much is because a Savior is born unto you. 
unto you. Not just unto the, the very holy, the very righteous, the upright, the pure, the moral, but to you, unto the whole world, this gift of gifts is given. By coming to the shepherds and announcing this, the angels are declaring that this gift, this baby sent from above, is a gift not just to those who were in high places and are of high esteem, but for everyone and anyone who would call upon his name. Any perceived difference between what we call the righteous and unrighteous by our human standards is eclipsed by the chasm that separated heaven and earth that Jesus had just traversed. The distance he came to save us is incomparable to any sort of gap we see between ourselves in terms of our own righteousness. From the shepherds to the wise men, the Jew and the Gentile, from those who were near to those who were far off, to the weak and the mighty, to the steadfast and the weary, to the rich and the poor, a Savior has been born unto you and for you. Gifts of, gift of gifts in manger lay, hope of men no more delayed. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. I hope that you will continue to enjoy and behold Jesus as you celebrate Christmas with your families and those who are close to you. My prayer is this, that may the light of Jesus shine brightly upon you this season. Be it in a time of joy or sorrow, in feast or famine, in strength or in sadness, May he who came down fill you with his spirit and light as you come and adore him this season.